Father, we come to you once again asking that you would speak to us powerfully through your word. And that we would walk away challenged, encouraged, and changed forever. We do not come into this place to be the same. We have not come here to just walk in same old, same old. That's lame. We've come here to be new people, new creatures in Christ, and to walk in your ways and your statues, to obey your laws, to bless you, Lord. Have your way in us tonight. Speak to us through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We'll be in Psalm chapter 51 tonight. Ooh, I am excited. 19 verses we'll be covering. 19 verses. And we sang the song already, which, yes, the scripture worship song that is found here in this chapter. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, O Lord, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Renew a right spirit within me. David, if you notice, if you have the King James or possibly New King James might have the notes there. Maybe quite a few Bibles do, but there, right at the title of the chapter, it says, To a chief musician, a psalm of David. When Nathan the prophet came unto him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Hmm. You remember the story. Maybe if you don't, then I'll tell it to you. Well, it's wartime. It's time to go to battle. What was the king doing? Sitting at home. Where was the rest of the crew? Out fighting. You see, David, you remember, yes, he knows how to fight. He knows what war is all about. You remember the shepherd boy? He used to throw stones and scare off the lions and the bears to protect the sheep. Yes, even as a young boy, and then he was chosen, he would be the one. He would be the, per se, savior and kind of a representation of God for Israel. And he, did, he does become king. We know that Messiah is in his blood. Jesus Christ, our king. But David, the shepherd boy, grows up and, well, he wasn't even that old. He was like a teenager when he goes to fight Goliath, remember the giant. And yes, he slays the giant, knocks him down, and everybody celebrates David. But you remember there was a king in power named Saul, and Saul wanted to kill David because he was jealous of him. And so David uh, just continued living for the Lord and made a couple mistakes here and there, but continued seeking God. And God did make him king. And he has been king over Israel for a while now. But look what happens. The great king, David, knows he should be off at battle fighting. Maybe not with a sword because he's king. And they wouldn't want to throw him in the lines like that. But definitely there on a horse, there in the back, commanding and instructing. And he is not off at battle, but he is home while everyone else is off at battle and he sees what? He sees a woman. Whoa, man. He sees a woman standing there bathing on the top of her house. Now, what is she doing bathing on her roof? Now, I've been there in Israel where they say that David saw Bathsheba. And it says that Bathsheba was beautiful. Now, if the Bible says something, it's true. Okay, so this was a babe, all right? This was like the hottest girl you probably ever I mean, Glamour and Maxim and you, you know, whatever, Teen Magazine. You got nothing on this girl because the Bible said she's beautiful, period. She wasn't like, 
you know, all airbrushed up and made to look pretty. It ain't about that. This woman was beautiful, okay? Now, now the problem is, what is she doing bathing on her roof? That's a that's uh, that's not good. Why are you bathing on your roof? Kind of, I mean, her husband off at war. Her husband, they're a commander and chief, yes, off at war fighting. And there she is bathing on the roof. I mean, you think you would instruct her before she left, don't, no bathing on the roof. Uh, make sure you keep the house clean. Make sure, you know, everything's good. I'll be back. I'll be back. Don't worry, okay? <laughs> and I don't know if she wasn't listening or what, but hey, hey, it takes two to tango, right? I don't know what's going on here, but I wonder if she even knew that right over there is the king's balcony. I know, you come when he comes out. Well, there it's the Kidron Valley. That's where it's at. There's the city of David, and then there's the temple. The temple, Solomon's temple. The temple that Jesus stood in is right here, and right next to it is the city of David, and right below the city of David is this valley. It's this little, like, uh, it, it's about the Kidron Valley. It's, it's this creek that kind of runs through, and um, I don't think there's even water in it right now, but it's this this crevices and down below the city of david are these houses you can still kind of see today the way these houses are they look like these boxes they're just little squares everywhere sitting all over the place over the hill and david looking out over his balcony there sees the woman and well he's king and he can have whatever he wants i wonder if he saw her a couple days before Maybe he walked out and saw and then ran back inside. Um, Bible doesn't tell us. It just basically says he walked out and he saw her and he wanted her. And you know that the Bible teaches a man is only supposed to have one wife, period. Especially a king. That was one of specific orders for the king. They're not to have more than one wife. And he goes out and he looks at the balcony and there she is bathing. And he lusts after her, and then he desires her. And so he calls for her, and he comes, and he has sex with her. He sleeps with his woman. Sounds like a movie or like some drama thing you'd see you know, going on TV during the day, soap opera or something. But he, he, he brings her into his house, and he sleeps with her, and then sends her off back to her home. And Bathsheba comes and says, David, knock, 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 that knock on the door that he doesn't want. Uh, I'm pregnant. Oh, oh, what? You're what? Okay, here we go. Um, let me think. He ran into his room, I'm sure, and was trying to figure out, okay, what am I going to do now? How am I going to hide this? What are all the boys going to think? i got to cover this up. So what does he do? He sends a letter with his... Well, actually, yeah, he sends a letter for this man to come home, or he calls for her husband to come home. I'm sorry. And he comes home and he drinks some wine with the guy, tries to get him drunk, sends him home to go and sleep with his wife. So, he, hey, the guy will think, the husband will think, it's my kid. Well, I got my wife pregnant while I was away from war. But I think uh, he comes home and um, he wouldn't go and sleep with his wife. And David calls him out. He's like, what's the deal, man? Why aren't you going home and spending time with your wife I brought you home he's like how can I go home and sleep with my wife when all of my brothers and men are out at battle fighting how could I possibly do this David must have been cut to the heart because I bet David was thinking how could I sleep with your wife where you're out of battle and so he sends the man off to war but he gives him a letter 
with the king's ring stamped on it. Orders of King David. So he takes the letter with him. What the man didn't know is he's carrying his death certificate. He goes and he gives the letter to the general. And the general opens it up and it says, Let this man... I'm sorry. Instruct the army to go out full blast and attack. And when the army goes out full blast and attacks, put this man on the front lines. And when we go out to attack, pull the entire army back and let him stand there and be slain. And so the general does just that. He sends out the army. We're going to charge full blast. And I want everybody to charge except there's an inside joke going on with the rest of the army. Everybody pull back and allow this man to be cut down. And so that's exactly what happens. And this man is cut down and slain. And David, I'm sure he was remorseful for it, maybe went home, you know, and just, geez, what am I doing, man? Maybe thought about it a few times, but he didn't repent. And maybe a few weeks pass by, a little while pass by, thinks everything's cool, but guess what happens? Prophet comes into town. Beware of prophets. They'll look right into your life. I'm serious. I think they still walk around in this day. People have spoken right at me. I never even met him before, and it's just like, how do you know that, and who told you? Scary thing. But this prophet walks up to David one day. His name's Nathan, and they're good. They're buddies. And Nathan walks up to David, and he says, "Hey, I want to tell you a story, David." There is this guy who came into town. I'm sorry, it's not a story. He said there's a guy who's come into town. And uh, he's a rich man. And he went to these poor people's house who have this lamb. And they love this lamb. I mean, the lamb sits down and eats at the table with this family. They love this lamb. And he's like, this rich man comes into town, he's hung, into town and he's really hungry. And so he goes over to this man's house that has a lamb that eats with his family. And he takes his lamb even though he's, he's got a lot of them, he takes his lamb and he goes and he gets it butchered and eats it for dinner. And David's like, what? There's a rich man who could have any as much food as he wants and he goes to this little old house over here and takes the lamb from him? Ooh, who is he? Where is he at? I'll kill him right now. I'll strike him down in an instant. And Nathan looks at him and says, you are the man. You are the one who took the lamb from the little old house over there. You were the one that could have any. You have all these wives. You have anyone you want. And you took the lamb from this little man and sent him out and killed him. You were the man. And what happens? David falls on his face. Falls on his face weeping. And he repents. Oh man, does he repent. Oh man, does he repent. And this letter... This psalm, this song is what he writes right after this happens. Nathan the prophet calls him out and says, You are the man. And this is what he writes. David writes, Have mercy upon me, O God. According to thy loving kindness, according to thy multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, only thee, I have sinned, and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Stop there. Look at this. He is wrecked. 
I mean, he is messed up. And I love this statement here. Look at verse 4. Do you see that? Against thee only thee have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. What does he say? Against thee have I sinned. Only you, God, have I sinned against. This is something we need to recognize very quickly in our own lives. And I'm telling you, this is a big deal. What do you mean, Josh? Listen. Look at what David does when he sins. He repents, cries out to God and says, I have sinned against who? You and only you. You can tell where somebody is at with their walk with God as soon as they do something very wrong and get caught. What is the first thing people do when they get caught? Start backpedaling, trying to make excuses. That's maybe a really bad scenario. When they, no, I'm sorry, probably the worst scenario is they try to cover it up and act like nothing even happened. No remorse, nothing. I didn't do anything. No, nope, that's not me. Mm-mm. No remorse at all. The second would be maybe trying to cover it up and make excuses. The next would be maybe, oh, I'm I'm really sad and I'm sorry. But the reason I'm sorry and I'm sad is because I got caught. And I can't believe this is happening to me. And what is everybody going to think when they find out what happened to me? And I think the greatest scenario is when you fall on your face and say, God, I don't give a rip about what happens to me as far as repercussions. I know I sinned. But I am so bummed that I have broken the covenant that I've made with you. I've committed such a great sin before you that I would shame your name. That I would ruin your glory. That I would ruin the witness for the people around me. That I would shame you, God, with the way that I live. You see, you can tell really quick where people's relationship is at with God by the way that they respond to something bad that happens to them. Because the man after God's own heart will say, it is you and you alone that I have sinned against, and that is a big deal to me. The biggest deal is not that I've sinned against someone else. The biggest deal is not that I'm going to be found out. The biggest deal is not about me. It has nothing to do. It's all about you, God. I have sinned against you. I have struck my fist against you. And I'm telling you that you see this all the time, and it just actually happened with a scenario just last week, and I got to see it. And somebody was about to be called out for some sin that they were involved in, some big sin. And the guy that was going to call them out, told I, I was asking what, how he was going to do it and what he was going to do, and he said, I'm going to disconfront him and then see how he reacts. And how he reacts will be the punishment or the repercussions that he endures. And so I was like, man, okay. And so he called him out. And he approached him with his sin. And immediately it was all about me, 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 me. No, hey, I, I confess my sin to God and everything's good and I'm forgiven, man. You know, it's like, you know, I just don't let anybody find out. Please don't tell anybody. You know, it's like, uh, all about me, 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 and what's going to happen and I don't know how to work this out. Please just, you know, uh, all about me. All about the person. And the guy who was rebuking looked at him and said, aren't you any, even the slightest bit concerned that you sinned against God and that you were an adulteress in the eyes of God? You have sinned before the living God. Doesn't that strike your heart? Aren't you concerned about that? Are you saying things like, it is with thee and only thee that I have sinned against, O God. 
This is such a big deal to me that nothing else even matters. I'm so sorry. I can't believe I've turned from my king. I can't believe I've committed treason. You see, that is a heart after God. And this is the kind of heart we need to have when we sin and when we mess up. And if you are in sin right now, or if you've been sinning and there's no remorse, you're in big trouble. There's something wrong with the heart. And you say, Josh, I know there's something wrong. I don't feel bad when I do this anymore. You've got to wake up. You better cry out to God, man, before the hammer drops on your life. What is it going to take to wake you up? Do you have to be called out with Nathan the prophet? Is that what you need? What do you need to open your eyes to see that you are breaking your relationship with God over and over again? God said, it's not my ear that's dull that can't hear you. No. My hand isn't short that I can't reach out to you. No. It is your sin that separates us. And when a man understands that his sin is separating himself from God, and that God is pursuing him day after day and just wants to be close to him, wants to spend time with him. You know how many times God thinks about you every day? It's been calculated that he thinks about you and shown there in the Bible as many times as the sand on the seashore. And they calculated that the, as many as sand is on the seashore, that's how many stars are in the sky. And if you break that down into a number, that means that God thinks about you about a thousand times per second. One thousand times a second? What do you think about? Look at me, Lord. <laughs> Are there even a thousand things to think about? <laughs> Look, I'm a wretch, man. The Lord says, I love you and I think about you a thousand times a second. I love you with all my heart. I just want to be close to you. I just want to spend time with you. I just want to give you life in that abundantly. I just want to bless you. I'm just a father in heaven that loves his kids. I want to see him prosper. I want to see him blessed. And we turn into what? That kid that gives the parents the birdie and says, God, here you go. I'm running from you. And I don't give a rip about your blood. And I don't give a rip about your forgiveness. It has no effect in my life whatsoever. I take advantage of your forgiveness daily. I take advantage of your grace and your mercies every day. God forbid. And there are many, there are thousands in the church today that think this way. And I'm telling you, and I can confess to you and be honest with you, that my own heart has been this way and gets this way at times. And as soon as I see it, I try to cut it back as fast as I can. Where I do something and I rebel against my God, which I have no remorse for. Where I recognize that He is speaking to me in a situation and I turn from Him and do not do. And just walk away like nothing happens. And oh, that's a time when you need quiet time ASAP. You better run to your God and you better fall on your face and cry out to Him and say, Oh, Father, I've, the greater sin may not be the thing I just did to you. The greater sin is that my heart does not recognize I have sinned against you. Be careful, family. This is one of the keys. This is one of the sweetest things that I love about David is that he is so remorseful and broken when he sins. He is broken completely. Let's move on. Verse 5, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, 
and in sin did my mother conceive me. Did you see that verse 5? You were born into sin. Yeah, you got a sinful nature from the day that you're born. Do you have to teach a baby to do wrong? Uh-uh. They just know how to do it. What do you have to teach them? To do right, don't you? Every day. You've got to train a child up in the way they should go. In the ways of the Lord. You train a child up in the way they should go, and they will not depart when they are old from the Lord. You have to teach them daily. We must understand, it is something that you must understand, that the heart of every man is wickedness. You are not a good person. Yeah, I am. No, you're not. You liar. You Well, I'm good compared to other people. Okay, I'll give you that. But you're still wicked. You still think bad things about people. You still want to light somebody up when they cut you off. You still, I mean, you, you, you've done wicked things in your life. You've broken many spiritual red lights and laws. And if you don't think you're wicked, take heed lest you fall. Wickedness will come upon you and you will fall and you'll recognize who you are. And the man who says he's perfect, you show him the law. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is pure, making wise the simple. You see, the law of the Lord is perfect, and we need to recognize that we cannot live up to it. That's what Jesus is for. Just recognize you're helpless, man. You can't get to heaven. It ain't going to work. You're not going to do it. You need Him to save you. You need Him to pull you into heaven. Recognizing that we are deprived and recognizing that we are wicked and that we cannot do anything good without God, you can't. You think that any bit of the good that you do has come from you? No. The only reason you even know what love is in this life, you want to know why, is because God loved you. We love Him because He first loved us. Because He first loved, period. If God didn't love, there would be no love on this earth. Ever. Nothing. If God wasn't good, there would be no good. The only reason you do anything good is because of your God. You need to recognize that. When you do something good, don't take credit. Because you got nothing, man. Okay? You got nothing. Anything that I have done good that you may think, Wow, Josh is a good guy. You're missing it. Because I cannot do good unless God does it through me and works it in me. And I will not do good until God works it in me. You need to recognize that within your own life, that is one of the first steps, I think, to becoming a great man or God, man of God or woman of God, is recognizing you cannot do jack without the Lord. Anything. And you will never accomplish, you will never change a life, you will never help anyone in, anybody in a powerful way until you recognize you are what? Conceived into sin. But behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts. Despite the fact that you were born into sin, what does God say? I desire truth in your inward parts. I want to see it. What is truth? Jesus is truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the truth. He wants to see Jesus in your inward parts. That is truth. doesn't matter how much you know about the Bible until you live it. It does not matter. 
I love running into guys who talk so much about the Bible but don't live a lick. You know when you're street witnessing, you're out there, and they just talk, come off just all like prideful and just like, I know everything about the Bible. You're not going to quote any scripture to me that I already know. But they, you can just see, look at them. It's just like they just don't re- really care about God nor a relationship with God. And it's like, so you're that guy. I know. You're that guy that basically knows stuff about the Bible but doesn't live any of it, huh? That's you, huh? Man, that's sad. Man. You know, the person over there, that woman over there, who gives two pennies to the Lord gives more than you've given in any of your life because she gives all that she has. You don't give anything. You know quite a bit about the Lord, but you give nothing to Him. Hmm. He wants truth in our inward parts. It's got to be in you, man. I've seen. Beware. There are many Christians and many Christians. I don't know if I can call them. There are many people in the church that know a lot about the Bible, that even serve in ministry and do the right thing, like read your Bible and pray, but they do not know God. How is that possible? Many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, did I not cast out demons in your name? Did I not do miracles? Did I not do this? Did I not do that? And he will look at them and say, depart from me, for I never knew you. I have a friend right now that I'm dealing with that I felt, I mean, almost like a leader. I mean, he's served and done all kinds of things. And I just look at him, and he's even rejected the living God to my face. I don't get it. It's like, I thought you were the real deal, man. Don't you know God? Don't you walk with Him? Isn't it the real deal? Like, you exp- it's in you, right? It's in your inward parts. It's, it's truth in you, isn't it? Jesus is in you, isn't He? Yeah, I tried the prayer thing, and I remember I was praying all the time, and I read the Bible and all that stuff, and... I was involved, and man, I just lo- I just like the world better, man. I just really enjoy this stuff. Oh, then let Satan have his way with you, and I turn you over to him in the name of Jesus. Go for it, man. Let Lucifer rip your life off completely and bring you to destruction, and I will pray for you when you come back, and I will lift you up, and I will build you up, and I will encourage you. But you will not look me in the face and say you've experienced my God, and say it's not good enough. You're a liar and the truth is not in you. It's not the truth. Because any man who comes into relationship or comes into contact with the living God will be changed in an instant. You get hit by a train, you're going to be changed. You get hit by God, you're going to be floored, man. And it's true. He desires, even though you were born into sin, truth in your inward parts. And there may be some of you here even tonight. Is Jesus in you? Do you have a personal relationship with Him? Do you have a personal relationship with me? No, you don't, unless you do. And if you have a personal relationship with me, you know what that means. We have a tight relationship together, me and you. But if you don't, recognize that you don't, and don't claim that you have one with me. And if you don't have a relationship with God, recognize you don't, and get things right, and start your relationship with Him tonight. What are you waiting for? God desires to give you life in that abundantly. The world is like a three-year-old child playing in the mud and having fun. And the father is coming up to him saying, Son, I want to take you on a trip around the world. Let's go. No, I like mud. I like mud. Mud is fun. Mud is fun. Yay. Okay, I want to take you on a trip around the world. I like mud. I like mud. Mud is fun. I'm gonna... <laughs> it's ridiculous, isn't it, though? You look at the world. God says, I want to give you life in that abundantly. 
Don't you see the God of all creation reaching His hand down from heaven, offering you forgiveness and life, and a blessed life at that? They say, no, I like mud. I like playing. Okay. Play in mud all your life while I travel this world with my king. I will live for him. And I will be blessed because he promises it in his word. Verse 7, David says, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be wither than snow. Whiter, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Teheh. Teheh. The. The. Father, why do you use me, you know? You can't even read whiter. <laughs> Sheesh. And I shall be what? Whiter than snow. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. And I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that my bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Oh man. Look at this man broken. Isn't that crazy? He's like, Lord, just clean me up, please, man. Just wash me. Just do whatever it takes. Make me to hear joy and gladness that my bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. He's like aching inside. You know what that feels like? You know when you just ache so bad inside? It's just like, I mean, you just want freedom. It's like, please. He has sinned against the living God and he is so broken that he can't even deal with himself. Oh God, wash me whiter than snow. That's white, man. That is such a blessing. Have you felt that? Have you felt that in your life, you know, where you just feel so washed and so clean and just like, I mean, you could just do a little skip and a jump and just kind of run around and just celebrate, lift hands in the air like, I'm free, baby. Free. The Lord has just lifted this burden off my life. And I love this life. I love those experiences and I love those situations. They happen all the time in my car. Just be driving, <laughs> get the worship music cranking, and I'm just celebrating, man, just going off, you know, just clapping. I'm clapping. People think I'm crazy. I don't give a rip, man. I'm just like celebrating Jesus, just experiencing His presence. All of a sudden, man, there's just this like supernatural, just like, bam! It just, I mean, it's just the, it's being in the presence of God. It's really, it's, it's being close to God. When you just feel, I mean, it's just cleansing takes place and it's just like wider than snow. It's just like, oh yes. And my ears hear joy and they hear gladness. How do you hear it? I don't know, but I hear it, man. Whatever it sounds like, it just you can just hear it and it sounds wonderful. You know what I'm talking about? Those are sweet times. Verse 9. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out my iniquity. Mm. Did you hear that? There are many of you in here tonight that need to say that. Josh, I'm forgiven. I know. You don't need to ask for forgiveness to be forgiven again. God has forgiven you once and for all, those of you who walk with Jesus. But you need to ask for forgiveness for you. You need to recognize that the sin that you are doing is destroying you. Do you know what the word confess is? In the, I believe it's in the Greek, yes. The word is homo legeo. Homo legeo. Confess. Homo legeo. It means what? To speak the same. Homo is same. Same. Legeo. To speak. 
homologeo, to speak the same. To confess is to speak the same as God. It's to agree with God. It's to say, yes, Lord, I agree that this sin is wrong in my life. I know that this, what I am doing, and I get specific with my sin. If I do something, I get very specific with it. I say, Josh, you have lusted after that girl walking in that outfit, and you were an adulteress. And you need to get things right with God. Josh Thompson is an adulteress. You say things like that, and it will strike you to the core to agree with God and recognize who you are and what you're doing. That's wrong. That is wrong. You've lied in the situation, and you are a liar. Hide thy face from my sins. Blot out my iniquity. You need to agree with God. Be honest with God. Open your heart to God. And ask for forgiveness. Again, not so you can be forgiven. You're forgiven, man. But so that you can be forgiven. You can recognize the forgiveness and recognize that you are wrong in this situation. Why does the psalmist over and over and over confess his sin, confess his sin, confess his sin? Because he needs it. He knows it is food and medicine to his soul. Verse 10. Are you ready? Here it is. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Who can say these words? Who can say this but a man that is very close to God? Who says things like, create in me a clean heart? When's the last time you ever heard a prayer like that? Lord, take a scrub brush and soap and scrub my heart clean. Get all this sin out of here. Create in me a clean heart. I wonder if that word is bara. Do you know, Ty? Bara is the word. In, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If that's the same word there, that means create out of nothing. That means there is nothing there, nothing to use, nothing even worth using. Create, bara, out of nothing, a new heart within me. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. What's steadfast? To hold the course, man. To be focused. You know what I'm talking about? Those times when you've walked with God and you've just been right on, you've been dead on, you've been straight on. Give me that, Lord. When I fought Goliath, I want that. Man, when I was focused, I want that, Lord. Bring that back to me. Create it in me. I know it's not in me, but just create. Hey, I think that's a prayer we need to pray. Because you know what? I just felt like I need to pray that prayer. Um... Because there's many times I've been desiring for the Lord to change me. And I even want it. Like, I want to change. But I know there's nothing within me that wants to work it out and wants to do it. So what do I need? I need something out of nothing to just, bam! I need a new heart. I need you to change me. Supernaturally. Bara within my own heart. Within my own soul. Let's pray and ask that right now, huh? You need to pray that prayer. If you need to ask that, let's. I'm going to do it. I'm going to talk to the Father, but if you want to, too, you can. Father, oh Lord, you see my heart. You know where I'm at. And Lord, I want to break through. And there's nothing within me that wants to break through. It's got to be a work of you. I need you to create in me a new heart. But I'm tired of this old heart. It's lame. It just beats and tries to do its own thing. Lord, I want what you want. I want a new heart. I want a heart that beats for you. 
a heart that breathes for you, a heart that bows to you. Yes, Lord, a heart that lifts everything up to you. Would you give me that heart tonight? I need a new one. Would you give it to the people that are asking here, Father? Oh, the Heavenly Father loves to give good gifts to His kids. Lord, we would desire nothing more than to have a heart that wants to serve You. A heart that cries for You. Love You, King. Thank You. Thank You. Amen. He sings, Cast me not away from Thy presence. Take not Thy Holy Spirit from me. This is something I'm so scared about in my own life. The Spirit of the Lord was taken from Samson. Do you remember? It says there in the King James that he wist not. He wist not that the Spirit had departed from him. Wist not? He knew not. He didn't know that the Spirit of God had been taken from him. And when he had been wrapped up in those chains, when he had been wrapped up in the ropes, and he went to break it off, the Lord had departed from him and he had no power. And so many times I pray, Father, I know I'm a wretched man and I know I messed up again. Please don't take the power from me. Please don't take your spirit from me. Please don't let that happen. So badly. Do you know how long I've been teaching? I think I just recognized I've been teaching on Tuesday night, I think for like five or six years. And not the upper room, that kind of started. But I just can't believe it. Somebody asked me the other day, and I was thinking back, I'm like, man, I'm 26, and I know I've been teaching since I was 20, maybe 19. It's ridiculous, man, it's crazy. And I'm just amazed how the Lord has continued to speak to people and continue to minister to people and bring power. I don't understand it. But that is a prayer I pray all the time. And I'm telling you, the second you think you got the power and that you deserve it, you're in big trouble. Because God forbid and that the day come when you wist not that the Lord has departed from you, that the Spirit is not there. There has been times when I've stepped on the pulpit to teach and I just feel nothing, no power, man. I just, I just, I can't teach. And I'm trying to articulate. I'm trying to go through my notes. And I'm trying to, Father, it's just not there. I felt it a couple weeks ago, believe it or not. And when I got up to lead worship, there's no power. I felt it come forth. And the Lord spoke to me specifically. He said, you did not apply the blood before you ministered to the people. I always apply the blood. What does that mean, Josh, before I minister to you? That means when the priests walked into the tabernacle, they would take the blood of the lamb and they would put it in the back of their ear, on their thumb, and on the bottom of their toe to help them to understand that it is the blood that keeps them safe inside of that place. God to strike you dead. And you apply the blood before you minister to your life. It is because of the blood of Jesus that I get to speak to the people. It is because of the blood of Jesus it is a privilege to lead worship. It is a privilege to do anything of the work of God. And any day that comes that I choose to stand up and say, I can do it, you're in big trouble. You forget to apply the blood and recognize the privilege. You're in big trouble. I felt it, and the Lord has snatched the carpet out from under me many times. And it is a scary thing to recognize when you've got to speak in front of a bunch of people, when you've got to sing a song in front of a bunch of people and try to muster up some power or muster up the Spirit. It ain't going to happen. 
You see it all the time. I walk into churches like that. They're just trying to get everybody as excited as they possibly can to experience the Spirit. It's like, man, I've seen guys just walk in and just sing a simple chorus and the whole place is just floored because the presence of God shows up. Two men can say the exact same thing. One has power and one doesn't. I don't get it. Exact same words. You could copy a man's message and say the exact same thing word for word that he said. One has power and one doesn't. Why? It's the Spirit of God that comes. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Uphold me with thy free spirit. I pray this all the time too. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. You've got a lot to be happy about. Deep, sincere joy. Not happiness, but joy. Not, hi everybody, I'm happy all the time. Hey, I'm a Christian. <laughs> it's like, you're not happy. I can see right through your fake smile. Don't say God bless you because you don't mean it. And don't say you're going to pray for me because I know you're not. It's like, that's the fakest thing I've ever seen. You, you fake Christian. It's like, there is no joy in your life because you've forgotten your first love. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Why were you happy? And why were you blessed when you came to Jesus? Because you had heaven, man. Your sins were forgiven. Restore to me the joy of my salvation, of your salvation, which God gives. You've got to get back to your first love. You theologians and Bible students, you who desire to know the Word, you better make sure that the first thing that you study and know every day for the rest of your life is your first love. And if you ever lose that, you're in big trouble again. Big trouble. To forget the one who saved you and the whole reason you have joy and your purpose and mission on this earth. Oh, the joy of salvation that comes to men. Mm, a sweet thing. Verse 13, Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Mm. <laughs> this is just so rich. How's my time? Man, okay, we're good. Ten minutes. Or less. Listen. Did you see verse 13? Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. I will teach the transgressors your ways, and what sinners will repent and turn to you, O God. Every single one of us are called to teaching the truth to sinners and watching them turn to Jesus. You know that? I thought that's your job, Josh. No. That is your job. We are all called to it. We have got to be doing that daily. I was hanging out with Ben Corson this uh, last weekend. It was fun. We had a blast. Uh, those of you who know who he is, he's one of my good buddies. I spent some time in the desert with him. And when I go up to Oregon, I get to hang out. And Anyways, uh, we were just driving around goofing off. We went to Taco Bell. He says what he wants to eat. And uh, we went to Taco Bell. and He ordered three big taste tacos. And I don't even remember what else. It was a lot, though. And I ordered quite a bit, too. But we were starving. Anyways, right as we're ordering, Ben looks across the counter. He says, Lewis, how are you? And the guy's just like, good. You could tell, like, he didn't really want to conversate at all. So Ben was just like, you know, brother, the Lord loves you. And uh, just want to let you know, me and Josh are going to pray for you when we pray for our food, Okay. We'll see you, man. Thanks a lot. And he just walked away. 
And we did pray. We prayed for Lewis. We sincerely prayed for Lewis. And then when we went to pray, because he was talking to me, and I felt the need we needed to pray for something else, and we started praying for it. Right at the end of the prayer, he's like, and, and Lord Lewis too, amen. <laughs> and I'm like, yes. I need to be reminded of that daily and time and time again. And I love those kind of guys. And sometimes I can be that kind of guy and sometimes I'm just not. I'm just out of it. I just love that. It just stirs me. Right there at Taco Bell, just stinking, showed the love of Jesus Christ right across the counter. I'm like, yeah. That's what we are called to. I can't do that. Okay. I'm too shy. I'm too quiet. Listen, it doesn't have to be something so abrupt as that. Maybe you come back with your receipt and just slide it across the counter. It says, Jesus loves you on it. You don't have to say much, man. Gestures are really nice, you know? We've got to recognize what we're called to and what God has taken us out of. We have got to be moving in this city. We've got to be moving in our families like that all the time. We have got to be preaching and teaching the truth to the transgressors and the sinners so that what? They will turn to Jesus Christ. Why? Because we want them to have heaven. We want them to have the joy that we have tasted of, right? We want them to be saved. David says, I will do this. I will teach them your ways, and they shall be converted unto you. I've never converted anybody. Neither is David. God does the work. Did you know that when you get to heaven, God really doesn't care about how much fruit as far as salvation you bring to the table. Did you know that? What is He going to say to you when you walk in those gates? Well done, good and faithful servant. Not well done, good and fruitful servant. Uh-uh. Faithful. Jeremiah was faithful, wasn't he? And how many people came to Jesus through Jeremiah's ministry? Zero. Not even one. No one turned to God through Jeremiah. But he did exactly what he was supposed to do. He was faithful. Like, Josh, I I try to talk to people about the Lord all the time, and they just reject me. You're doing the work of the Lord. I just try to do nice gestures, try to pray for people, but they really don't want to receive it. You're doing it, man. Don't worry about how much fruit you see. There's something wrong in the Christian church today. However many people you have in your church, that's how much fruit. I'm telling you, the table's going to be flipped in heaven. I guarantee it. Who has the most treasure? That poor woman over there in the corner who just prayed for her family daily, sincerely, and gave up all that she had. Let's line up Mother Teresa's doctrine versus the deeds of the men. Smartest men on this earth. Yeah, they can debate her and put her in a hole and do whatever they want, but she has more life in her and does more things for this kingdom than probably any woman I've ever seen will not even take a brand new pair of shoes to wear for herself, but gives them away when someone gives them to her. Who does this? People who are changed by Jesus Christ, man. That's what we're called to. You are called to greater things, not to sit in a pew and not to sit in this coffee shop and let me speak to you. Stop that. Get busy already. This is 50% of your ministry right here. To be building up the church and to be receiving. The other 50% is to be doing for the kingdom of God 
And if you've been missing out on 50%, you've been missing out on a lot. I'm to a lot. Mm-hmm. God forbid you get to heaven. You stand there before God. And the Lord's like, what'd you do? I listened to a lot of messages. Okay. What else? I read through the Bible ten times. Okay. What'd you do? Um, dang. I didn't do much. And I don't get another chance, do I? No. Come on in anyways. Enjoy the fullness of joy which I give to you in this moment. Oh, family, don't let it be a day that we come in. Don't let there come a time. Be doing what you are called to do. David says, Deliver me from the blood guiltiness, O God. Thou God of my salvation and my tongue, shall I sing aloud of thy righteousness. And I put yes, yes, Lord next to that. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. He says, Lord, deliver me from the murder. And he says, and I will sing to you. He says, open my mouth so I can sing to you. I I just see this picture. I see this man laying on the ground almost aching. Just, Lord, my lips don't, I, I just can't even praise you. I'm so broken before you. If you would just simply open my mouth, I will praise you. I will lift you up. I will exalt you. The heart of this man. Are you ready? Verse 16, this is big. Bible students, Brians, please, stay with me. Again, don't let television tell you how long you can listen. Focus your mind. Gird up your minds. Let's finish this strong. Verse 16, this is, a, man, this is, wow. For thou desirest not sacrifice, or else I would give it to you. You delightest not in burnt offering, or else I would give it to you. The sacrifices of the Lord are broken a broken and contrite heart, O God, thou will not despise. Did you hear that? David says, Lord, I would give you offering if that's what you wanted. Sacrifice. I would give a burnt offering. I would go and slaughter a lamb. I would do the whole gig. But I know that's not what you want. Who knows this stuff? How can he know? How does he know this? Look at how intimate he is with God. Who can know the things of God in this manner? He, being king over Israel, knows about the sacrifices. He knows about the rituals in the temple. He knows about how sin is covered. He has just committed what? Great sin before God, is he not? And he's sitting there and he's like, I know you don't want a burnt offering, I know you don't want a sacrifice. All you want is a broken and contrite heart. That is what you will not despise, O God, I know. And that is what I desire to give you. You see, you think when I sin, God wants me to read the Bible more. You think that when you sin, He wants you to go to church more and do more things for Him. He says, I don't want that. I want a broken and contrite heart. I want a broken spirit before me. That's all I want. I just want a man, I just want a woman that is sincere and broken before me and lays there and says, God, i got nothing. I messed up. He doesn't want you to do a bunch of things, okay? you got to stop thinking when you sin a lot, you go and do a bunch of church and do a bunch of reading and everything's better. That ain't it. 
You can't weigh out your bad deeds. Your bad deeds before God are filthy rags. You got nothing to offer to Him. Stop trying to earn God's favor through your works. Stop trying to read more so that He's happy with you. Stop praying more so that He is happy with you. Stop going to church more so He's happy. It ain't about that. When you have a broken and contrite spirit before God, you will read more, you will pray more, you will be in church. That's all He wants. He doesn't want more works. He doesn't want more deeds. Jesus did all the deeds and all the work for you so that you get into heaven for free, man. It ain't about deeds. It ain't about works. It's about a broken and contrite heart. Father, give us a broken and contrite heart, please. Help us. Do Do good in thy good. Pleasure unto Zion. Build out the walls of Jerusalem. Then shalt thou please with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offerings and whole burnt offering. Then they offer bulls upon thine altar. You can only offer things upon the altar and do things for God when the heart is right. Because guess what? If the heart's not right, it doesn't mean anything to God, does it? Nothing. You could worship Him all day in front of people. You could do all kinds of things for people in helping them. You could read your Bible 20 times. You could go to church. You could bring all this sacrifice and offering and do a bunch of good things. But if the heart is not right, it is nothing to God. Remember the Pharisees? Standing there in the corner, praising God in this big manner. Ooh, everybody look at me. But Jesus said what? No. The Lord hears this prayer over here, Be merciful to me, a sinner, more than He hears any of those. Because that man beats his chest and cries out to God. Do you understand, family? Do you understand the end of this psalm, how powerful this thing is? This heart that we are talking about is the heart of David. What does he want? A broken and contrite heart. Create in me a clean heart. David is what? The man after God's own heart. This is the key. This is what God is calling us to. Hearts that are set apart and dedicated to Him. Amen? That's all He wants. That's all He wants. I always think God wants me to build a big church one day, Larry. (laughs) It's not true, man. I always think that God wants me to go out into the world and save everybody. Not true. He wants me to stand up and lead worship and really help people get into the presence of God. Nope. What does He want from Josh Thompson? A broken and contrite heart before Him. And then He can use me to do the things that He desires. That's it. Father, we Your people come to You desiring this heart as David desired it. Oh, gosh, Lord. Please. Do whatever it takes in our lives to give us these kind of hearts. Whatever it takes to break us, to bring us to our knees. Lord, it's a scary prayer to pray, but God, I just want to chase you like Moses did. I just want to chase you like David. I just, I really, I want to be faithful to you like Joseph. I really do want to help change the world like Paul, Lord, but I, I know you can't do anything in me until my heart's right.
And so we, your people, just come beckoning, begging, pleading. Sincerely, with all of our hearts, we just ask that you'd, you'd mold our hearts, you'd put in a new heart, take out the old, don't let it come back. And that we would walk with you all the days of our lives. Be glorified in this in this church, in this people, in this congregation. Minister to them. In Jesus' name, we ask these things, Father. Your Son, because of your Son. Amen. 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 We got some homework to do this week, huh? Man, help us, Father. Go in the name of Jesus. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Making disciples of all men. Just loving people and loving God. That's it, okay? You go love God and then start loving people. Don't love people until you love God. When you love God, you'll love people. You'll be blessed. Amen? I love you guys. really do. I want the best for you. So please, take heed to these words. Be blessed tonight.